Well, I'm still working on Ecclesiastes. We're coming down to the home stretch, though. We're in Ecclesiastes 11, um, and so that's what I'm going to speak on tonight. Uh, we've only got 10 verses to go in this chapter of Ecclesiastes 11, so if you have your uh, Bible, go ahead and open it up to Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter. I'm going to start reading. We'll just read the full uh, 10 verses here. It says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they shall empty thyselves upon the earth. And if a tree fall towards the south or towards the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they shall both alike be good. Truly the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou, for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, Remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. So up to this point, Solomon has been looking at the common pursuits of men and seeing vanity everywhere, whether it be wealth or women, friends, family, fame, civic business, all will disappoint and are empty in the end. He explored much of what the modern pleasure seeker believes will bring ecstasy and joy. But in the end, the journey turned out instead to be that of heartache and misery. He gave several examples. Do you remember some of them? <laughs> Probably not. I've been preaching this since, uh, I believe, 2020. <laughs> but you can go back and look at it, though. Um, <clears throat> a few examples of what he uh, Saul is vanity. He saw that there were good men that worked hard to get rich, but they could not guarantee that their money would be handed over to a generation of wise men or to a generation of fools. They had no control over who would get their money. He saw men with large families that were disregarded in their old age and they were buried without their family attending to them in their dying days or even attending their funeral. He saw the poor trampled on and the rich lonely and hated. Both were miserable without a true friend. You know, some people think, well, if only I had money, I'd just have all the friends in the world. But even he saw that those who were very wealthy truly did not have true friends. 
He saw a wise man who delivered a city but received no lasting thanks or fame for it. The loud and boisterous fool that had friends and followers, but they didn't really get the respect and people didn't listen to them as you would think that they would. So Solomon, even in the midst though of these dark uh, findings and vanity he's finding here and there and everywhere, he does find some bright spots. Uh, He said that toil and the spouse of your youth will bring some joy and that they provide sustenance and companionship, which shows a little bit of God's provision for us here on this earth. However, he counters that with still we're going to die. He solidly concluded that wisdom is better than foolishness. Essentially, a whole chapter was devoted to that. And uh, back in, I believe it was uh, chapter 10, we talked about foolishness in all aspects of life, in all areas of society, and how wisdom was better than that foolishness. So certainly we should always walk on the road of wisdom. However, if you pursue wisdom as a single-minded pursuit, and it's a pursuit of wisdom just in and of itself, He says it's only going to weary you. It's going to weigh on you. It's going to make you jaded, and you will never know all that an infinite God could possibly know anyways. So this, the pursuit of wisdom itself, cannot be the meaning of life or our purpose in life. So now we're coming down to the end. There's just two chapters left. So what conclusions has Solomon come to? What must we do to avoid wasting our lives? And then this first recommendation here, it's found right here in the first 10 verses of chapter 11. You know, chapter 12 gets a lot of publicity. You know, we like to talk a lot about chapter 12 because he's going to come down to our relationship ultimately with God. But chapter 11 is really speaking of our relationship with others. So, how will you avoid a worthless, useless, vain life? If you want to avoid that meaningless life, he says, first, you must stop pursuing a self-seeking, self-pleasing, and just plain selfish pattern in life. In other words, don't do most of the things we've just heard him describe and that the people that he observed were doing. Instead, pursue a life and a lifestyle of kindness and generosity to others. You know, first I'd like to point out, uh, I didn't go back uh, to chapter 10, but the last verses, may I'll do it now, it says uh, in chapter 10, verse 20, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Curse not. We talked about that a lot too. Curse not. And chapter 11 follows that curse not command given in chapter 10. And there's probably not many more potent enemies of generosity than an angry and worked up spirit. So I think that's a good verse to precede what he's going to talk about. You know, and this is something that all of us need a frequent reminder on, especially, I I know I do. 
So much so that, you know, I think of the writer of Hebrews, you know, he tells the church that one of the specific reasons that we are to frequently gather ourselves together is so that we can consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works. Did you know there's a purpose to our gathering every Sunday, every Monday? Or I'm sorry, Sunday and Wednesday? <laughs> there's a purpose, and one of the purposes is that we can stir one another up to good works and to love. You know, every time we're in this building, we should be focusing on the Word of God and the promises that He has given, the hope of heaven that lies ahead of us, because each one of us knows and experiences what Jesus said in Matthew 6.34, that sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And boy, do we run into a lot of trouble each and every day. It never ends. That's why Jesus said, you know, you don't have to worry about tomorrow's trouble because there's enough trouble in today to, to last you for the rest of this day. You know, keep it focused on what's going on today. So we live in a fallen world of troubles. And if we simply allow ourselves to focus on man's ugly side, why would we ever want to be generous towards anyone? But it turns out that giving and generosity and mercy are worthwhile things under the sun. You know, as I was writing this and thinking about this, I didn't have time to look it all up, but I recall a while back they said in a, I believe it was in a medical journal, they were uh, studying, you know, if, if we're assessing somebody in the emergency room and we want to know how close they are to killing themselves, if you're talking to somebody that says that they're suicidal, one of the things that they found in the people that were more likely uh, to commit suicide was uh, a lot of I statements. I statements. So therefore, I, I propose to you, and that's what the writer of this article was proposing, that you know, to help us get through day-to-day -day life, that we need to focus more on other people. And that when we focus on other people, it will help us heal as well. I know, I've been in that situation. You know, Brother Gayhart mentioned, you know, a, a, a time of terrible depression. And I was in that terrible depression myself. And I know, you know, I was, a lot of times I was focused a lot on myself. So Solomon here says a one of the first things that we should do to bring meaning into our life is to focus, turn it outward, focus on others, give. But don't just give, there's ways to give. There's, when we think about giving, uh, he's giving us some advice here on how to give. Number one, we're to give in faith. He says here in verse one, to cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Some see this as a merchant's venture. A man places his grain, his, his hard labor on that trader's boat, unsure of the profit that he will make. However, he has faith, though, that down the road, the captain's going to return on that same boat, and he's going to bring his profit. He's going to bring his reward. Because he put his grain there, his bread on that boat, in faith. Thus, when we give, we should give generously. And 
and it should be done in faith. Much of our life is going to be spent on that sending out of the grain with only a few days of seeing the rewards. You know, we don't, and we don't know when those rewards will come in or what increase they will bring. Will it be a 30-fold? Will it be a 60-fold? Will it be a 100-fold? But regardless, we should be generous towards others in faith that something good will come of it and not think of that immediate reward. We get so caught up so many times in today's society in that immediate reward. You know, what can I do to get immediate satisfaction? So what next here? In verse 2, we learned that we should give liberally of what we have. You know, we shouldn't be stingy with our giving. So here he says in verse 2, give a portion to seven. And if that isn't enough, give it to eight too. For thou knowest not what evil shall fall upon the earth. So we're giving liberally, but also wisely. Notice there it said to give a portion to seven. It's not calling you to give more than what you can afford. You know, the Bible and the New Testament, we're told we're to take care of our family. We're to be providing for those that are around us that are in need. And our immediate needs is within our families. We're to be taking care of our family first. But with what we have left over, we should divide it amongst those in need. Now, there's also a principle in this verse of doing the most good to the most people that we can says if an eighth person shows up, don't send them away empty-handed. Again, we're doing this knowing that someday we may need help too. In other words, treat others as how you would like to be treated. You know, it's funny how these themes, as you're reading and studying, they come up again and again and again and again. Here's just another way that these themes are returning to us for our attention. You know, John Gill Um, in his commentary, he points out that what keeps the Scrooge from being generous here, in fact, is, you know, they, they, they focus on a disaster. And they focus on the here and now, they focus on what could happen, and they use that as the exact reason to not give. But here we're told that's the reason we should be generous, because you don't know what evil may come upon the earth. You know, in our needy times, we will have a multitude of friends to fall back on. You know, and I think of the story that Jesus told of the dishonest manager in Luke 16. You know, he knew he was getting ready to be kicked out of his master's house, so he began offering those bargain basement discounts to his friends because he knew the day was going to come when he would need their kindness. You know, now Jesus is not calling us to be dishonest. That's not the point of that parable. But it, it does make the point that when we, when we are giving, we should give, to, uh, we should give to all, we should give liberally of what we had, and oftentimes that giving is going to come back to us. You know, I, I remember uh, been a, a few years back, um, you know, we, we've kind of just gotten here and, and started to get a little bit more involved in the, uh, 
in the ministry with the funerals and things like that, and Danielle's probably been able to do a little bit more than I have. But, you know, you never, you never really uh, think of how much that really means to, to get a meal or to take a, a meal to somebody until you're in the situation. You know, my father-in-law passed away, and, and my wife and I, we were the ones that were doing, you know, everything it felt like. You know, I'd never had to put a funeral together before. I'd never, I, I, I told the funeral home uh, that I'd do all the pictures and all the slideshows and stuff. That was a bad idea. I spent, you know, an entire day just, just going through all these pictures that everybody had given me, and, and I was helping my wife out with that, and it was nice to have people bring some food in. <laughs> and I was thankful for that. And, you know, and that's something that demonstrates this. You know, when we're to be giving, but then also we will receive that back one of these days, too, when we're in need. So the next uh, point here is that when we're giving, you only have so long to be generous. So when is the best time to give? When is the best time to be generous to others and show kindness and love to others? Right now. <laughs> In the here and the now. You know, verse 3 here it says, If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree falls towards the south or towards the north, in the place where that tree falleth, there it shall be. So, <clears throat> verse 3 is pointing out that when God gives those clouds, He's <clears throat> filling them with a purpose to provide the blessing of rain on the earth. Likewise, God has filled each one of us with resources and personal gifts and attributes with a purpose in mind. You know, and like those clouds, we should be showering others with God's blessings, causing them to bud and to bloom and to grow to His glory. So, and you know, sometimes that giving, it, it may go pretty far. That cloud may go really far away before it delivers that blessing. So sometimes we got to go further away, too. We may have it go far and deliver that blessing that God has given us. So, our, our, our blessing is shed abroad. But, there's a warning here that there's a day that's coming when all of our opportunities will be cut off. And when all of our giving or our lack of giving will have had all the effect it's going to have. When the rain falls, it evaporates back up into the clouds. But when the tree falls, it's done. You have one chance. You have one lifetime to have one effect or another on those around you. You know, you can fall to the north or you can fall to the south. You have one effect or another, one lifetime to do it. So when should we give? While we can. <laughs> now. And then the next uh, point here is that there's never, ever going to be a perfect time to be generous. You know, I, we all hear this all the time. You hear all the excuse, well, I, I can't give because I don't have the time or the money or this or that. And these, you know, things just haven't fallen into place like they should. Listen, there's never going to be a perfect time. In verse 4 it says, He that observeth the wind 
shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. That's no way to live. If you don't sow and you don't reap, I think if, what if every farmer in this world didn't sow or didn't reap? We're all going to starve within a short period of time. There's never going to be a perfect time to be generous. So it's easy to say, you know, oh, I have to wait till the economy improves. I need to wait till my house is paid off. I'll give when I'm not working so much, etc., etc. However, we have to realize that time and opportunity is slipping away with each and every one of our hesitations. You know, I, I remember kind of a sad but funny story of myself. I guess now I can laugh about it. I wasn't laughing too much back in 2008, but... Uh, you know, I, I had some money to invest, and, and I was blessed with that money, and I thought, boy, I'm going to put this in an investment. So I put it in, like, 2006. And what happened in 2007 and 8? You guys remember? Oh, yeah, the stock market just went down and down and down and down. Of course, I'm watching that stock market every day just go down and down. I'm like, I can't take it anymore. i got to get this money out. So I took it out. I took it out at a big loss. Stupid. And then it's like it starts going up and up and up, and I'm like, well, but it, it might go down again. I don't want to put it in, just have it lose more money. I've got to pay these fees. And it, so, you know, I waited through most of 2008, and finally I put my money in, and then the loss was permanent. You know, the, the stock had already gone way up. I had no chance to recover that money. So, you know, you're never going to time it perfectly and just time it right if you try to do that under your own power. Just give, just be generous. Give of what you can. Give of, you know, your blessings and the things, attributes, things that God has given you. Let him bless it. He'll take care of the timing. Don't try to, you know, wait for that perfect timing. Because there's just never, you're never in your flesh ever going to find a perfect time to be generous. So that was only money, but, you know, there's also, I feel, many people that are doing the same thing with their spiritual opportunities. You know, we have opportunities all the time to speak to people, to be a good example, to uh, show love and mercy and kindness and all that, and oftentimes we allow those opportunities to slip away from us. Now, I really like this point here. So verses 5 and 6, it says, As thou knowest not what is uh, the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. So in the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether uh, shall prosper, whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they shall both be alike good. So the point is, I wrote it down here, you're not as smart as you think you are, so work hard in all that you do. <laughs> That's exactly what he's saying. You're not, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what, we're, what, what will work, what won't work, and we, we put so much time and effort in. A lot of times you think about what to say to somebody so much that you just told, I've done it, you lose the opportunity to even talk to them. They're walking away. You know, John Wesley, he said, when it comes to giving, 
and we can apply this when it comes to in any any type of giving, whether it be financial or any other type of giving. He said, you know, that earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. You know, so we should be smart in our giving, you know, but we should understand that it will be God who gives the increase, though. You know, we should therefore be diligent in our work, whether that of earning money, saving money, or that of giving. Just be diligent in it all. We do not know necessarily what will prosper. Thus, we should be generous and ask God to give the increase. There is no need for hesitation. If we're going to try to judge the perfect conditions based off of our perception of the world, we will never do anything. Don't be caught up in observing the worldly attitudes and the whims out there. We have the seed of the gospel to sow and our commission and authority to do it. You know, you think of that, that sower of the seed. You know, he, he wasn't, oh, this is, this is good ground. I want to put it there. And, you know, that's rocky. That's stony ground. Don't, don't put it there. That's not what Jesus said. He, the, the sower was casting the seed. It was, it was going everywhere. Likewise, when we're uh, in our generosity, in our... Uh, you know, especially with our spiritual gifts, it's okay. We need to share those with everybody. And we have the power and the authority to do it. Verses 7 through 10 here begins this last section of Ecclesiastes and Solomon's final comments on what brings joy and meaning into life. So we'll just read that quickly. It says, Truly, the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live years and he rejoice, or many years, and he rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. So <clears throat> what Solomon's saying there is when you compare time, you know, light under the sun in this world to the eternity that waits, you know, it's a darkness of things not seen. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, blackness, darkness, but... There's, there's an eternity that we can't see or totally understand. He says, keep in mind that that eternity is many days. It's much longer than your life under the sun here. And he says, well, rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know that thou, or know thou that all, for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. So there's nothing wrong with celebrating uh, youth and enjoying your youth. But he's, he's giving us a, a reminder here that's going to take us into chapter 12. And Brother Tony uh, did a good job the other day preaching chapter 12. I'm going to have to work really hard to come up with something different. <laughs> come up with a different perspective, I guess. Um, but uh, he's summed up, you know, here how we should treat others in chapter 11, and he says we should really treat others as we would like to be treated. And now it comes to the call of love to God with all your heart. So the modern reader here should appreciate that Solomon didn't just give these two ideas as a command, but he has painted the reader really into a corner here. He has shown all of the common excesses in life and why they just don't work out. Thus, what you're left with is what the Bible was commanded in the first place. You know, remember, here at this point in time, the law has been given. 
The Ten Commandments are out there. You know, Solomon knows and he understands that. And to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, that's already been said. You know, love thy neighbor as thyself, that's already been said. So Solomon really here in Ecclesiastes, he's, he's looked at what else could I possibly do? Could it bring me joy and could it bring meaning into my life? And he paints the reader into a corner because he says, no, 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 no. And what brings meaning and joy in life gets, it's just a smaller and smaller little plot of land there. And that's really where we're at here. And he's, he's, he's working on that. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Treat your neighbor as yourself. And then in chapter 12, he's going to expand that out to honor God. So this life, it's not as meaningless, though, as some would think uh, Solomon is saying. He says, for the light is sweet. It's a pleasant thing to behold the sun. But as he goes, or he goes on to say, life is not just for you to fulfill all the, your pleasures and your desires. It's to glorify God. Our generosity is to be for the glory of God. And childishness and childhood is not the end game of life. You know, I see some adults, I, I don't know, I just, I, I don't like to hear adults speak childishly. You know, I think maybe I've said that before. And, you know, Solomon here, he's, he's saying the opposite, really, of what the world tells, of, tells young people. You know, instead of telling them just to take time and enjoy the worldly pleasures in life, sow your wild oats, you know what Solomon's saying here? Grow up. He said, you should be working to remove sorrow from your heart and evil from the flesh. In other words, grow up. Pursue holiness. Why? Because the foolishness of childhood and youth are vanity as well. You know, we can't live in that foolishness. You know, and there's a lot of people in this world that don't seem to understand that. You can't live in the foolishness of youth. We're to grow up. We are to mature. We are to become men and women. You know, there is no special privileges, uh, there's no special privileges to the young or the old in the kingdom of God. In many places, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. There is no attribute for which you will win favor in his eyes except whether or not you have obeyed his son. And all will be called to give account one day. You know, remember, you know, John at that great white throne judgment, he saw the small and the great. Thus, all of us, whether young or old, should be pursuing the glory of God, especially in the art of giving. Now, it's understandable a, a young child is not going to be able to pursue the, the glory of God to necessarily the same extent an adult should be. So, but all of us should be on our path to growing. As, and then as Jesus, he summed up this, uh, what uh, Solomon's saying here to the Pharisee lawyer about 1,000 years later, he said, again, you shall love the Lord uh, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what state is your generosity in tonight? Are you waiting until you're sure you'll see a payoff? Are you holding on until your personal conditions are just right? Are you waiting for things in this world to improve? Or are you just pursuing the foolishness of youth? Realize that no matter who you are, if you are a Christian, God has uh, filled you like that life-giving cloud to float off somewhere, maybe far away, and deliver a blessing. We are always looking for a blessing of, from God, but here God is asking us to be his instruments to be a blessing to others. You know, how often do we pray that, oh, Lord, you know, bless us in this and that. You know, we always want a blessing from God. Not necessarily anything wrong with that, but, you know, God has called us to be a blessing to others. <laughs> Let's not fail and neglect uh, that. So looking for a cure for, you know, depression or feelings of meaninglessness in this world, you know, there are many that are. And first, we have to get right with God. We have to love Him with all of our heart. And then go about blessing and being a blessing to others. So that's the conclusion of chapter 11. But that's not the conclusion of it all. So uh, next time, we'll be at the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I appreciate your kind attention tonight. And I will... Go ahead and wrap it up. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we just are, again, grateful for your blessings to us. And Lord, we see in your word tonight that we are called once again to be a blessing to others and to be your representatives on this earth. You know, we think of our family members and friends and uh, those that are in our uh realms of influence that uh, need to hear from Jesus Christ and need to hear from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, there are those that are just truly lost in this world. And God, we just pray that in some way you will allow us to be a light and a blessing to those people this week. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would uh, give us wisdom and kindness in our dealings with others that perhaps don't even agree with us uh, and uh, know nothing of Jesus Christ. But Lord, may our love and our light shine forth so brightly, Lord, that it cannot be ignored that, uh, that those uh, that were perhaps even the enemies of Christ may see it and may come to know you and to love you. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you bless and be with each and every one of us as we go our own ways this week. And Lord, we uh, just pray that you'll bring us back at the appointed time. We ask these things in Jesus' name.